Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be here with you. Um, if you're a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. And if uh, those of you who are watching online, hey, so glad that you're, uh, you're tuned in. Um, hey, for those of you who were here last week, we talked about the 21 Days of Hope. How many of you uh, signed up for the 21 Days of Hope? Okay, one of you. Um, <laughs> Good, at least someone did. I hope more than just one will sign up and do this with us. This is something great that we're doing together as a church. Um, it's it's going to help prepare our hearts uh, for, uh, for Easter. Uh, really, they're just devotionals or challenges that get us thinking about what Easter is all about. And what I love about it, uh, at least in what I've seen so far, is it really challenges us to be thinking about others who don't have the hope. Uh, of what Easter uh, is all about. So if, if you haven't signed up yet, there's still time. I think uh, the handout has um, the information for how to do that. Otherwise, you can find uh, the info, info online. But uh, I hope that's something we'll do together as a church leading up to Easter to get our hearts ready. Uh, we have something uh, great to celebrate. Now, uh, many of us know we're in our series right now called Armor Up, Fighting Back Against the Devil's Schemes. And uh, we are studying the armor of God that Paul teaches us about in Ephesians 6. You'll remember week one, we started with the belt of truth. It has to start with truth. Um, it makes sense that Paul would say uh, truth is the first uh, way we arm up. And, and when he talks about truth here, he's talking about uh, special revelation, truth that comes from God, revealed to us from God, truth that we cannot know of in and of ourselves. There is truth that we have to know of that, can only, that we can only know about if it's revealed to us outside of our, our, ourselves. And we're talking about the Bible here. We're talking about special revelation. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a historical event, absolutely. But we would not know what the purpose and point of that historical event was outside of the Scriptures. It is the Bible, God revealing to us what that has done for us. So it makes absolute sense that Paul would start with the belt of truth. We talked about that week one. Week two, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. So this is not a righteousness of our own. This is a righteousness that God gives us, produced for us by Christ. Week three, we talked about the shoes, the gospel of peace. We said Paul wants us strapping on these shoes and walking in peace. Now, is that a battle? Absolutely, that is going to be a battle. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so through Christ, we can put on the shoes of the gospel of peace and start fighting that battle for more of his peace in our life. Uh, week four, we talked about the shield of faith. And we said, this is, there's a human component to this. We have to take up the shield of faith. We've got to take it up. There's some things we must trust in God for. We must trust who God says we are. We, we must trust the promises that he gives, and he gives us amazing promises. Every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. But we also trust that he can, he can do something today. He can change our lives today. We trust him for that. Which brings us to the second, uh, to the last piece of armor, equipment, weaponry that he mentions here, which is the helmet of salvation. Okay, the helmet of salvation. We go ahead and read Ephesians 6, 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, it's not surprising that Paul would refer to salvation as, as the helmet. The, 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 the helmet that the Romans would wear to protect their heads, their minds, the way 
they think. Right? We understand this. Now, if you're a Gen Xer or older, you probably grew up and did not wear a helmet much, right? At least growing up, I didn't wear a helmet much. Uh, but if you're younger, you probably grew up wearing a helmet quite a bit. People today wear helmets all the time. In fact, now you don't go to the bathroom without wearing a helmet, right? People are like born. They come out of the womb. They come out of the chute with a helmet on, right? And why? And this is good. It's, it's, it's because we've recognized how important the mind is. We've recognized how important the brain is, okay? And, and, and so Paul's saying, you, you've, we've got to protect our minds. What we think has got to be protected with the helmet of salvation. Now, who is Paul writing to here? He is not writing to those who are not saved and saying, get saved. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. So he's not saying, get saved or get saved again. Rather, what Paul wants us doing is knowing the mind that we are already saved. He wants us to protect what we know. Do we know that we have salvation? In other words, Paul is talking about living our lives in the assurance of salvation. He wants us putting on the assurance of salvation. Be sure that we are saved. I talk to Christians all the time who say things like, uh, I think I'm going to heaven when I die. I hope I'm going to heaven when I die. And by the way, when they use the word hope, they don't use it in a biblical sense. They made it in a modern sense, which is like, I don't know, but I'd like to. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope, you understand. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's rock-solid expectation, rock-solid assurance. Yet modern, you know, language has kind of warped to the word. Someone might say, I hope it's warm tomorrow. Well, what are they really saying? I don't know if it will be, but it'd be nice if it is. I'd like it to be. And see, that's not the way the Bible uses the word hope. The Bible is saying, we have rock-solid assurance and can live in rock-solid expectation of the hope that we have of, of salvation. But I talk to Christians all the time who, who, who don't have that assurance. They're like, I would like to. I, I think I might, but I'm not sure. Paul wants us living our lives. God wants us living our lives knowing, knowing, protecting our minds with the assurance that we are, that we are saved. If you don't know, if you don't have assurance of salvation, you're going to make yourself vulnerable to, to, to the tactics of the enemy, okay? Uh, the enemy's going to be able to have a field day with you. He's going to be able to bring a lot of fear and worry into your life. He's probably going to get you uh, thinking more about your circumstances going on right now in your life um, than, than the hope and, and expectation of, of, of what lies before us and, and, and what's been promised to us. Uh, the best analogy I could give you is I, I was thinking about um, driving up to the North Shore. Danielle and I, we love to go up to the North Shore as, as often as we can. Um, and we've been to Grand Marais many times. Uh, and then usually when we're driving up to Grand Marais, what, what are we doing? We are excited. We're, we're like planning and talking about what we're going to do. And there's a kind of an excitement in our hearts, kind of a joy for, for where we're going, this place that we love so much. 
But I remember on one occasion, um, we got really far up north, and, and, I, and I realized it far too late. I was on empty. And I needed gas desperately. And if you've ever been up north, you know that's a problem because you, you don't know when the next gas station is going to be, right? It's a little spotty up there. So, so now I'm in the car. I'm on empty. I'm not filled with excitement anymore. I'm not filled with joy anymore. Um, now I'm obsessed about my circumstances and what's going on. As were before, when we would drive up there and everything was fine and I knew we were going to reach our destination, Danielle might even spill some coffee or something like that. We didn't care because we're going to be in Grand Marais. Now everything's a big deal. It's like, are we going to even make it there? And there's just this fear and this panic. And this is how many of us live our Christian life. If we don't know our destination, if we don't know where we're going, there's probably not going to be a lot of expectation, anticipation, joy in our lives. We're going to probably find ourselves obsessing about our current circumstances and situations. And there's going to be a fear if we don't know whether we'll reach our, our destination or not. God wants us knowing, knowing that we're going to reach our destination. Having the assurance of salvation in our lives. Okay, so this morning, what, what I want to talk about is why can we have this assurance? And then two, what is it that we can have assurance of? What is it that we have assurance for? Okay, but this, this first question that I want to answer, this is the most important part of this message today. Um, why can we have assurance of salvation? And if you're taking notes, I put this in your handout. We can have assurance of salvation because of the sufficiency of Christ. And this is so important for our lives. This is so important for our lives. That Christ has who he is and what he's done for us is sufficient to give us assurance of salvation. You know, many of us, we, we grew up in a church culture where the emphasis for our assurance was placed on us. We grew up in a, in a church culture where we would hear all about the morals and the way we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. But something happened in the communication of that. Rather than understanding those things as the applications that should flow out of our salvation, we, we, we began to understand those things as the means to our salvation. The way we get saved. We subverted it. So that we heard about the morals and we heard about the things that we needed to do as Christians and how we actually processed it, whether it was what our pastors meant to, to say or not, the way we processed it was, this is what is necessary for me to be loved by God and accepted by God. And so the emphasis was on us. 
And of course, if you think that way, if, if the emphasis is on you, what are you going to do when you look in the mirror on your worst day? Are you going to have assurance of salvation? No. Which is why you're going to say things like, I think I'm going to heaven. I'm hoping to go to heaven. Because again, the emphasis is on you. And I understand why this is part of our church culture. I understand why we grew up in this. I mean, all of us want what's best for our kids, and we didn't want our kids making the mistakes we did growing up. Pastors want their people to be good citizens and good neighbors. The problem was we misconstrued it. We subverted it. We misunderstood how this works. And we took it, so then, therefore, my salvation is dependent on me. Friends, that is not good news. That's not good news at all. Because there will be a day where all of us look in the mirror. At our worst. The good news of the gospel is that it doesn't depend on me. It depends on Jesus. So you can think of it this way. There's a scale, okay? And there is a scale for all of our lives. And on one side of that scale is God's holy standard. And you and I have to meet that standard. We have to balance out that standard. And what we end up doing when we think it's all about our morals and how we're living, what we end up, we start putting our performance up on the other side of the scale. But here's what you need to know. It doesn't even budge the scale. It might cause your side to swing a little bit. Okay? But it's like putting a pile of ashes on the scale. Meanwhile, God's holy standard, which is moral perfection, weighs 100 billion tons. You're not budging that with your ashes. Now, your pile of ashes might be better than, bigger than mine. And some of you play that game. Well, at least my pile of ashes, that's got to count for something, God. Or my pile of ashes isn't as big as that person's over there. So something must be wrong with me. And we end up playing that game. But none of us are budging the scale. None of us are moving the scale. We read this passage a few weeks ago. I want to read it again. Jesus says this in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Yes, the morals still exist. Can't change that. It's rooted in God's character. But I came to fulfill them in your place. I came to fulfill them for you. Okay? What is he saying? So what this means is we need to blow our ashes off of our side of the scale. And we need to put Jesus on the scale in our place. And when you do that, because of his righteousness, not mine, applied to my life, I now meet God's holy standard. Do you see how that works? In other words, the emphasis is no longer on me. The emphasis is on who? The emphasis is on Jesus. It's on Christ in my place. That's why I can have assurance of salvation. Because it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on another.
who was righteous and fulfilled the law in my place. You'll remember we talked about this in our Philippians series, Choosing Joy. It was just before this series when we talked about Philippians 3. I want to read something Paul says from Philippians again. He says, if anyone uh, else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. What does he mean by confidence in the flesh? Putting myself up on the scale. If any person had a big pile of ashes up on the scale, it was, it was Paul. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the right lineage, the right heritage. In regard to the law of Pharisee, which meant he had status, he was highly respected. As for zeal persecuting the church, he was zealous and passionate for God's law. As for righteousness, based on the law, what does he say? I was faultless. I was faultless. Man, Paul had a big pile of ashes on his side of the scale. But look at what he goes on to say in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them scubalon. You guys remember when we talked about scubalon? This is a PG-13 word here. We, we said if it was on a bumper sticker, it would, it would read scubalon happens. This is strong language that Paul is using here. He's saying I, I, my perfect faultless Living according to the law, pile of scubalon. This is all it was. It was a pile of scubalon. Got to get it off the scale. I consider them scubalon. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. We've been talking about this over and over and over in this series. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's Jesus' righteousness put on the scale in our place so that we can meet God's holy standard. So the emphasis is not on me. I consider the confidence in myself scubalon. My confidence is in Christ. Does this make sense? This is very important for us to understand if you're going to have assurance of salvation. Because if you're trying to base it on yourself, there will be the day where you look at yourself in the mirror and wonder if assurance is yours. But if we base it on the one who has lived, died, resurrected, the perfect, righteous Lamb of God, then I can live my life knowing that I am saved. And that's what God wants for each and every one of you, okay? So, so this is how I know. This is how I have assurance. Now what I want to talk about is what is it that we have assurance of? And, and I could say many things about this, um, but, but I want to focus on a, on a few here, okay? So because of what Christ has done for me, because of the assurance I have, I can have assurance first that I will live after I die. That I will live on a after I die. I die. Uh, Jesus says this in, in John 11. Listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, what? Even though they die. So even though our bodies will die, 
physically, unless Jesus returns, the Bible teaches that too, but unless Jesus refers, returns before that date, our bodies will die, but he says we will live on. He means we will be conscious. Our spirit will live on, even though our body dies, if, if, if we're putting our faith in him. Now, some of you maybe have heard like this idea that or ever wondered, like, what happens exactly right when I die? And, and some have even taught, like, your soul goes to sleep or something like that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, if you remember when Jesus is up on the cross, two other criminals being crucified with him, one of them puts their faith in Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, what? Today you will be with me in paradise. Not sometime in the future. Today you will be with me in paradise. So the promise is, as soon as we die, we go to this place. And notice what Jesus calls it. Paradise. Friends, this is, <laughs> this paradise sounds, it sounds pretty nice. Uh, my son asked me, um, a little while ago, he said, Dad, do you think there will be sports in heaven? <laughs> I said, I think so. You know, God created us to love recreation. He created us. Now, there's a lot of mystery to heaven, a lot of metaphors that are used to describe heaven because it's so beyond our minds. But God has created some things in us that I, I, I believe and, and, and trust. That's what heaven, what we will do in heaven. And one of those things, I, I think there will be recreation. I think there will be sports in heaven. So he, he said, Dad, you think there will be football? I said, yes. Basketball? Yes. Golf? No. No, you have to go to the other place. I'm pretty sure for, for golf. No, <laughs> I know some of you love golf. I think there will be golf in heaven, and I think the courses will even be more beautiful than Augusta. Listen. Heaven is referred to as paradise, and the promise we have, if we are putting Jesus on our place on the scale, the assurance I have is that as soon as I die, I go to paradise, okay? I can live in assurance, and, and that gives me, that's going to change the journey I'm on. It's going to give me excitement. It's going to give me joy. It's going to give me hope. It's going to cause me to dream. What is heaven going to be like? It's going to change the journey because I know the destination is assured for my life, okay? So first, I will live on after I die. Secondly, I can have assurance that I will be healed and whole. Healed and whole. You know, let's be honest. There are some things in this life that are never going to be fixed. This is a fallen and broken world. That is a truth of the Bible. Some of you have a physical ailment in your life right now. You've prayed about it. You've had others pray about it. But God has said no. And that physical ailment is a part of your life. And maybe it's a pain or a disability of some kind. And for you, that is a kind of thorn in the flesh. You guys said this is part of you bringing me glory here on earth, living with this, because through your weakness, I can be strong in and through your life. There are going to be physical ailments in this life that won't be fixed. 
For some of you, it's not a physical ailment. It's a mental ailment of some kind. It's a, a, a mental struggle. Maybe it's depression. There have been a lot of Christians throughout the years who have struggled with depression their entire life. They prayed, they had others pray, and they continued to struggle with depression. Did great things for God, by the way. Some of these preachers, like Charles Spurgeon being one of them. For some of you, it's anxiety. And you've prayed about it, and you've had others pray, but there is still an anxiety in your life. And by the way, that's my story. Anxiety runs in my family. And I've struggled with it for over 20 years. I've prayed about it many times. I've asked other people to pray about it. I still battle anxiety in my life. And by the way, why do we treat physical ailments different from mental ailments? Is the brain not physical? If if we understand biology, we understand that there are chemicals in our brains. And sometimes it's a physiological problem. It doesn't mean there's anything spiritually wrong with you. There is a physiological, for me, my anxiety, it's a physiological thing that is genetic. And I've come to terms with, it's going to be the thorn in my side. And when I'm weak, God can be strong. He can use me in light of it. Which makes us thankful for doctors, amen? Who can help? For therapists, amen? Who can help? But what I've learned, at least in my case, is it's not going to be fixed. And so I manage it the best I can. I do my best to manage this anxiety in my life. And it's something I recognize I'm going to struggle with in this lifetime. But look at the promise we have in Revelation. says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And it's a picture of God wiping away the tears from his child's cheeks. Friends, there are going to be some things here on earth that will not be fixed. We have to manage them the best we can. But the promise is when we get to heaven, we will be healed. And we will be whole again. Is that good news? That's good news. One of the reasons we can live in anticipation and expectation and excitement. Because of these promises God gives us of our destination. Okay, but let me share one last one with you. I can have assurance that I will be with Jesus. (laughs) And this is really good news. Jesus says just before he goes to his death, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be what? where I am. 
you're going to be with me. Friends, do we understand that what makes heaven heaven? Do we understand that what makes paradise paradise is that the glory of our Christ resurrected presence dwells there? See, right now we kind of have an imperfect or incomplete, maybe is a better way, kind of relationship with Jesus. Jesus is able to be with us spiritually, so we pray and we listen for his voice the best we can to relate to him and follow him. But there's a big difference from being in his physical presence. Uh, how many of you during the pandemic had to do like Zoom calls? I <laughs> see Pastor Tyler over here raising his hand because we did that for so long as a staff. And I got to tell you, I hate Zoom calls. I learned to hate them. I don't ever want to do a Zoom call again in my life. It was like, so how is everyone doing? Well, I had a good, yeah, and then I walked. Yeah, can everybody hear it? Ah! And it just freeze. And I was just like, I hate this. I hate this, right? This is kind of like what our relationship, it's like right now it's an incomplete relationship. Actually, our relationship with Jesus is not as bad as a Zoom call. Maybe compare it more to like a phone call. Okay, because I remember when I was at camp, just before Daniel and I got married, I was away from her, and the best we could do was talk on the phone. And then I remember after that summer getting to see her and be with her in person. Friends, so much better than a phone call, getting to be with her and see her face to face. In the same way, right now our relationship's kind of like a phone call where we're praying and we're trusting and we're trying to hear and listen and follow. But the day is going to come where we're going to stand and bask in his glorious presence for all eternity. And we're going to be there for a 1,000 years to know we get to enjoy this for another 10,000 years. Is that good news? That's really, really good news. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that Jesus is there and we will be in, in his presence. This, um, about a couple weeks ago, Danielle and I went and visited uh, the gravesite of one of our friends, Callie Hendrickson. Uh, Callie died at the age of 30 years old from cancer, which was, was a reminder to us, you know, we just, we, we don't know how much time we have. We don't, none of us in here. There's no guarantee for any of us in this. We went and visited her graveside, and uh, it just got me thinking, and I was, I was at her bedside a few days before she actually passed away, and one of the things I'll never forget about Callie was not just the courage that Callie had. It, it was the excitement that was in her eyes. She wasn't just courageous going to see Jesus. She was excited and was living full of anticipation. She said to me, she said, I get to go and be with Jesus. And friends, I don't know about you, I want that. I want that. I, when, I, when I know my time has come, I want to be, be filled with that. In fact, I want to be filled with excitement today. Amen? With anticipation, knowing. That this salvation is mine. And why, why did she have that courage? Why, why was she able to be excited? Friends, it was because she had taken herself off the scale and she had put Jesus on the scale in her place. Her trust wasn't in her, it was in another one, the one who was the perfect lamb of God. 
Jesus, our righteous one. And when we have that kind of assurance, we can live our lives starting today with a confidence, with an excitement, with an anticipation of the beauty and wonder of the things to come, which means if you have Christ, the best is still yet to come for your life. (laughs) It's good news. Don't have to live in fear. One more scripture for you. John says this in 1 John. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, God wants you to know. He doesn't want you to think you might He doesn't want you to hope in the modern system, hope. He wants you to have rock-solid assurance that this promise is yours, and you can have it and own it today. It's yours. It's the greatest gift you can have. And I just can't help but wonder if there's some of us who need to take ourselves off the scale and put Jesus on the scale in our place. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that if you've never done that before. Maybe you thought... You were doing it the right way, putting yourself up on that scale. And I'm going to encourage you, take yourself off today. Put Christ on the scale. This is why Jesus is our champion. Amen? Not because of me, because of you, Jesus. So if we just bow our heads for a second. If that's you, you want this assurance of salvation in your life today, just say, God, I put Jesus on the scale in my place for now on. My trust is in Jesus. Jesus is my champion. And I'm trusting in his righteousness for my life. Father, thank you for this promise we have, for these, this great and incredible promise that I can be assured of leaving here today, that I will live on after I die, that I will be made whole again, that I will be healed, and that I will be in the presence of this Jesus that I love. Help me to trust in this starting today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, are we loving Jesus a little bit more this morning? We loving Jesus a little bit more this morning? You loving Jesus a little bit more this morning? We better be loving Jesus a little bit more this morning. (laughs) This is good, good news, friends. He's our champion. Let's give him the glory. Let's give him the worship he is due. He is worthy. No longer trusting in myself. I'm going to trust in another. I'm going to trust in Jesus. You're going to do that with me? You're going to worship with me this morning? All right, well, let's stand. Let's worship as a church.